Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. In today's show, we're going to talk about audits, CISO services, cybersecurity insurance, compliance, and just general business risk management. So this is all predicated based upon uh, a question that was presented to me by uh, a few people on a forum where they were looking for the impact and strategies and just general understanding of what the situation is with regards to audits that are happening, whether they come from uh, customers who are looking for an organization's uh, information security posture. And uh, a lot of these organizations are doing what's called third-party information security risk management or, or known as TAPISRM. And that is a thing that is very, very standard and happening now. Um, Tapizorum is pretty much going to be happening across the, bo- across the board. You know, as the federal regulations have changed and that risk had been previously been being absorbed by the insurance companies, the insurance companies have lost a ton of money and they are not interested in that. Uh, furthermore, frankly, the federal government is really just, uh, n- just tired of all of the compromises that are happening that are damaging the cybersecurity posture of the United States and therefore also damaging the economic viability of the country. You know, it's a, it's a real, um, it's a real like national security issue. And, uh, you know, if you look at a situation where you've got a CPA firm and that's just to say they do like 2000 tax returns a year, well, those are, 2,000 businesses and personal tax returns that are a treasure trove of all kinds of interesting information that uh, is the primary target of most of the criminal activity that's out there that's in the digital space. Yes, there is certainly criminal activity associated with trying to do like, you know, theft of intellectual property for the purposes of you know, stealing manufacturing secrets or R&D secrets and, you know, all of that sort of industrial espionage and business espionage. Uh, and those are primarily state actors that are doing those types of things. Uh, whereas the rest of everybody else is pretty much very much so financially motivated. I mean, yeah, sure, you still have some people out there that are idealistic in their uh, in their attacks and they're just hacked off at uh, an organization and they go after them just because they don't like their ideology. That certainly does exist. But in the majority of cases, it's really very much so financially motivated. And uh, so that has severe economic, widespread economic impact. And uh, so, you know, what's happening now is enforcement is happening. Insurance companies are requiring attestation. In some cases, they're actually requiring you install agents in your environment. Uh, In some cases, they are requiring you to produce reports that prove proactively that you have things in place. And uh, I want to talk about those that assessment, and I want to talk about the gaps and where real business risk comes from, because this is the primary fundamental issue that I see across the entire non-enterprise business space. 
you know, if we're talking about enterprise where you have boards of directors and, you know, 5,000 plus employees, these organizations generally have the operational maturity and the executive management and board of directors understanding of the necessity of compliance and compliance management tools and business risk assessment. This is something that they have been doing for the last 25 years, if not longer. Whereas you look at the majority of the SMB market, which is you know pretty much from my opinion, any organization under 5,000 users, because I've seen all kinds of orgs that have you know, 1,500, 2,000 users and they're not operationally mature. And I'm not saying that enterprise has got their ducks in a row either. In a lot of cases, they don't. I mean, all you have to do is just look at the Maersk breach that happened. I mean, that was what, uh, you know, Maersk has got a ridiculous number of employees, something in excess of maybe 60,000 employees. You know, clearly uh, their enterprise, you know, their international enterprise, and they still didn't have their ducks in a row. So the positive side for SMB, for the small to medium business, is that it is a lot easier for them to get their ducks in a row. It really is. And it's a heck of a lot more cost effective for them to get their ducks in a row. Whereas, you know, enterprise, I think at least is more aware of the necessity of ongoing and regularized effort towards business risk management. I see on contrast to that, a complete and utter lack of attention to business risk management um, in, you know, in the majority of these organizations that are in the SMB market. And I'm not saying that these people are delinquent in their management of their organizations. I think it's that they haven't yet decided to make time for it because they don't see the business risk. They don't understand the business risk that is happening due to information security risk or cybersecurity risk. They keep thinking about these things in terms of, you know, that cybersecurity stuff and that information security stuff, you know, isn't that the IT department's problem? Actually, no, it's not the IT department's problem. Furthermore, the IT department is not really empowered to set policy and they're certainly not empowered to enforce policy when there is no policy. So sure, IT can come up with technical controls, but really uh, they can only in terms of policies, IT can draft and propose and recommend policies to the executive management team. The executive team at that point in time needs to actually approve and then enforce those policies. You know, something as powerful as a procurement policy, I'll give you a great example of this, is uh, let's say an organization has like 150 domains. I mean, this is not unusual. And they don't have a procurement policy that requires that all of those purchases go through the IT department. And as a result, then you got the marketing people who've bought some domains and then maybe some of the execs went and bought the domains and domain hosting is all over the place. And there's all of these, you know, crazy bills coming from all these different locations. And <clears throat> there's no central 
audit capability for that. In fact, nobody's even got a full inventory of what all the domains are um, that people have. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole entire organization wastes a bunch of time on this simple issue where whereas all of that domain hosting could have and should have been purchased through the IT department and not associated with an individual's email address. This is part of business continuity planning. This is why you need a policy about that. But then the executive management team has to be aware of the policy and they have to enforce that policy. And I would even argue that the CFO in an organization is the most powerful cybersecurity asset that that organization has. And I think that the IT department should report to the CFO. Definitely not to the COO. There's a huge conflict there if it goes, if IT reports to the COO. Because the COO's job is really all about, you know, operations and efficiency and, you know, anything that gets in the way of profitability of and efficiency of operations is, you know, an annoyance and it needs to go away, right? That's, that's a primary opinion in a lot of cases of the, the COO. The CFO, on the other hand, is very concerned about total cost of ownership. And they don't have an opinion that uh, internal IT is just a sunk cost. So, you know, just have them while away their hours inefficiently chasing down stuff. You know, the, the CFO understands that it's a massive organizational time wastage to be allowing people to higgedly piggedly buy stuff on credit cards. And then not only do those individuals have to go through and reconcile credit card statements on a monthly basis, nobody's actually in charge of maintaining the inventory of those assets. And yeah, a domain is an asset. The CFO is typically going to be the one who's very pleased to have an asset management system in place, whereas others may not care about such things. And the CFO has the ability to enforce that procurement policy. I mean, one of the biggest time wasters that I see is these organizations that have all these domains that have allowed people to higgedly piggedly just buy stuff. You got the IT manager running around getting these credit card bills and being asked by the CFO to reconcile this stuff. And it's like, I don't know, what's all this stuff from network solutions? No idea. And because it was allowed for random people to just buy these accounts and there's no inventory, you got a whole problem of just simply trying to ferret down what are the credentials to get into that. Now let's couple that with a whole bigger problem. From the insurance compliance perspective, and also from federal regulatory compliance perspective, privileged access management is required to not be running off of shared accounts. So it needs to be individual accounts. And it also needs to have multi-factor authentication. Now, it may surprise you, but the vast majority of domain and DNS hosting companies do not allow for multi-user access. And most of them do not allow for multi-user access with multi-factor authentication. So uh, this is also part of where the procurement policy comes into play. 
And uh, if you think that your internal IT department is just going to run with all of this and they're going to figure all this out on their own, that's not a realistic expectation. They don't have that kind of time to be sitting around and doing R&D and vetting out and doing testing on you know, dozens of domain and DNS hosting providers to try to find one that actually meets the compliance requirements. And they may not even very, very well just don't even understand the compliance requirements because they're not a CISO, okay? So looking at risk assessments, business risk assessments, you know, I, I don't even like talking about cybersecurity risk and information security risk because the reality is, is it's all business risk. You know, so I, I wanna talk about this in terms of business risk. And that business risk assessment is the type of thing that I do all the time as a CISO and couple that with prioritizing the activities, basically creating a roadmap as to who is going to address the outstanding issues, prioritize those outstanding issues, plan when they're going to get accomplished and to define a level of budget to create a roadmap to get there. Okay. If you think internal IT is going to do that, I've actually never met an IT director in the SMB market that had that kind of skill set you know, or training or tools to accomplish that. And so as business decision makers, I'm telling you that that is not a realistic expectation for you to expect your internal IT department to do that. So if you don't already have a relationship with uh, an external certified virtual corporate information security officer, well, call me, get a relationship. Okay, back to this whole, you know, assessment issue that was, uh, that was asked of me about what exactly, you know, did, do, did I think was going to be that process for the, the assessment and what were the implications of these things? And, you know, what, what does the workflow look like and what tools are going to be used and so forth? And I can tell you that most of that is very, very highly proprietary intellectual property. Um, but just for sake of overview, let's talk about it this way. You can't have a cost-effective or a, uh, a, an actual verifiable uh, assessment if you don't have automation. So you would need to have continuous vulnerability assessment and preferably also automated pen penetration testing that's just happening on a, on a very regular basis. Is that quarterly? Is that monthly? Whatever. Um, I may step off for that topic for a moment. Um, penetration tests, unless you have an actual compliance requirement for a full-on penetration test with a physical human being audit, where they're like physically trying to get into your office and then they do things like drop USB flash drives in the parking lot and find out what employees of yours are picking up the flash drives and sticking them into computers, you know, stuff like that. You know, they'll do like um, social engineering attacks and stuff like that. That is not the penetration test that you need to be paying for in the majority of cases. That kind of a penetration test could be twenty-five dollars to $30,000, you know, and that's not really something you need to do every single year unless 
you actually have a compliance requirement for a pen test to that degree. Instead, you may be able to get a regularized, uh, automated, always on scheduled uh, virtual uh, penetration test using automation uh, that I think is actually very beneficial. And, uh, you know, that can be obtained through your, your CISO relationship where that product scans on a regular basis. And then the CISO can work with the IT team to put together a plan to address deficiencies. And then of course, it's gonna run either next month or next quarter. And then the organization has an opportunity to get new data. You know, did the efforts that we, that we made, you know, were those remediations effective at resolving the issue that the penetration test found? Now, by the way, that same exact approach is the approach that should be used with continuous vulnerability assessment. So again, that's something that you should be getting from your CISO who's going to then take that data plus a bunch of other data and put that in a project prioritization uh, roadmap and uh, you know allocate people to it, determine when somebody is going to do it, and then put a budget, you know, some sort of an estimated price tag together for that particular thing. So that again is not something that you should be expecting internal IT to do all by themselves for you. It's pretty rare for uh, an organization to have a, a certified CISO working as a full-time employee in their organization. And then uh, on this same topic, in the SMB space, there I think it's very important that you find a CISO who has their own technical team to back them up. Because otherwise, let's imagine a situation where you're contracting with a CISO or a virtual CIO or a virtual CTO, whatever, and they don't have their own technical team. And, and I mean employees. I'm not talking about like they have a, a group of subcontractors that they use. Um, if they don't have their own employees that are their technical team, then anytime something comes up where it needs to be done, they're not, they don't literally, they literally just do not have the security skill set to architect that solution as a cohesive, fully supportable solution together. They then end up having to contact external vendors and to try to you know, engage in vendor management on your behalf and to find out, well, you know, what would you guys recommend and um, how much would this cost and what does the support plan look like and, you know, these types of things. And just earlier this week, I had a phone call from a gentleman down in Oklahoma who has an IT service provider business and he's working with a school and that school has had way too many cooks in the kitchen in the past. And as a result right now, their phone system isn't working and there's no good support model for it. There's inadequate documentation. Parts and pieces don't really fit together. There is no vendor, no manufacturer support for the configuration because it's higgledly piggledly because there's been way too many fingers in the pot. So I'm, you know, this is me of 29 years of experience in the IT services industry, 
conveying to you that I feel very, very strongly and adamant that if you're going to have a CISO, if you're going to have a relationship with a CISO, that CISO needs to be extremely, extremely technically adept. And I mean, current technical skills, not like, oh, you know, they've stepped out of doing the technical thing. You know, that's not cool because I've also encountered a bunch of people who, you know, they, they got all these certifications, but they have perceived themselves to be too important to do the technical stuff. And so they moved into a management role and they don't do the technical things anymore. And uh, they couldn't get the job done because in order to do that assessment, you have to actually understand at a hardcore level what those technical controls are and what's actually passing the smell test or not. So, you know, if you're looking at the, the deployment has a solution where, for example, they're using a team viewer for remote um, support for the staff. So if you're not an expert on team viewer, if you don't have a very, very deep technical understanding of team viewer, uh, where are you going to get that configuration management data from that says that, yeah, the configuration that's in TeamViewer here is adequately secure? Um, well, I don't know. I don't know where you're going to get that information from. And then the CISO, I think one of the CISO's jobs is to provide a very factual and honest conveyance of posture and possibilities to the executive management team so that they can be making informed business risk decisions. So I'll give you an example. Uh, if internal IT is saying uh, XYZ and maybe they're actually right, you know, maybe they're actually quite technical and maybe they're actually right. But then you have a non-technical CISO who comes in and they're like, well, no, but the compliance requirement says you need to have a SIM. Well, an IT is saying, well, no, we don't have a SIM, but we have the equivalency of a SIM and this is how it works. So what happens in that scenario then is the executive management team has got a conflict because their CISO, who is supposed to be authoritative, is contradicting what internal IT is saying. And internal IT in this context is actually accurate, technically accurate. So that's just one area uh, where I think that it's exceptionally important that your CISO have current and very, very highly detailed technical skills. I mean, they need to be a cybersecurity expert themselves where they could, based upon their skill set, do the implementations. They manage the tools currently, not like, you know, oh, you know, I've gotten out of the day-to-day -day management. That's not good enough anymore because the technical services industry, it changes so frequently that if a person is not actively managing technology systems, if they're not on a day-to-day -day basis engaged in the trenches, then their skill sets are going to wither on the vine with that, where just because maybe, you know, you used to know how to do that doesn't mean you have the data for the latest and greatest, you know, version of the whatever. And this has a massive impact where 
it's only that level of technical skill that somebody can that somebody needs to have so that they can create that roadmap in in my opinion in an exceptionally efficient way the other alternative is a roadmap creation process where it's the CISO sits down with whoever is supposed to be the SMEs on something, the subject matter experts, and then saying, uh, you know, hey, what are we going to do about this? And what's, you know, what's the game plan? What's the proposed solution to this business risk that needs to be addressed? And then talking to those people and asking them to put together a budget. There's a really important other piece you need to be aware of. If internal IT, and I'm not going to say this categorically across the board, but in a lot of the cases, in a lot of cases, if internal IT was going to fix the problem, it would have already been fixed. It doesn't mean that internal IT is bad. It means that in a lot of cases, it isn't in their wheelhouse to invent a solution to the business risk. That's, that's what really is going on there. I don't know uh, why it is that business decision makers think that just because somebody is an IT person or that they do their help desk or their desktop PC work and, you know, I don't know, maybe they manage their internal IT budget. Um, that does not turn into someone, you know, that's like not equivalency of someone that can do network security architecture system security architecture, uh, cloud security architecture, compliance risk assessment. You know, I mean, th these are just completely different skill sets. And we all need internal IT. Um, believe me, most organizations would be in a, in a desperate problem if they didn't have internal IT. And they play an exceptionally valuable role where they are the first responders to end user requests. They do have a tremendous amount of institutional knowledge about the people and the business and what the business needs in order to function and how to prioritize things. Uh, but it is, again, just not a realistic expectation to think that internal IT is going to be that leader role of doing a business risk assessment, prioritizing that risk, creating a roadmap as to who's going to address that risk and inventing the solutions to close those business risk gaps and then to come up with a budget for it. Right? That's just not realistic that internal IT is going to do that. Those are skill sets that are, in my experience, uh, obtained over a period of uh, two decades or more. And uh, that's only if that individual has had access to opportunities where they would have learned those those skill sets over that period of time. You know? So a lot of this is also like if we talk a little bit about risk assessments, I'll wrap it up with a little tiny bit about risk assessments, business risk assessments. Right. You remember I said that I, I don't even care. I don't even want to talk about cybersecurity risk or information security risk, because the reality is 100 percent of it is business risk. And the sooner that business decision makers start thinking about it in terms of it's all business risk and the fact that they are responsible for making informed risk decisions, then the sooner we're going to get to a solution on this. So that ultimately means that executive management 
needs to be involved. Now, in the case where it's maybe a, a larger organization where you have middle-level management, then uh, it is definitely possible that the executives could delegate that to you know, directors to be more championing and shepherding those efforts. But it's really got to be director level or above. And if you have only one director in involved in this process, such as like, you know, the IT director, just because you've given somebody a title of IT director does not mystically make them capable of doing 100% of this on their own, nor is that a realistic expectation. So what I'm talking about directors, you know, it needs to be your facilities director. They better be involved. You know, it better be the HR director, you know, better be um, the CFO, right? Uh, it better be p- basically people from a bunch of the business units are getting together and collectively as representatives of that organization, they are making business risk decisions and they have to prioritize these things. You know, business risk decisions are not the purview of the IT department. It is the purview of the IT department to draft policies and make recommendations on prioritization and to present that to the executive management team. But that's only if that's in the wheelhouse of the IT department to do that. And if it's not, which it's not in the majority of cases, you need a VCSO. So if you need a VCSO and you don't have one, give me a call. So I'm Felicia King, and I hope you enjoyed the show.